You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Merry Christmas. Good to see you all here. Thank you to all of you for sharing part of your Christmas celebration with us uh, this evening by coming together and worshiping with us. I know uh, I see a lot of familiar faces. Uh, I know there are many uh, Christians here, those who are celebrating uh, what they believe. And I know because it's a holiday and um, that there are people here uh, who are not Christians. Um, And I want to specifically welcome you and thank you for being here um, and part of this celebration. And I uh, I hope my remarks this evening will be uh, helpful, encouraging to you Christians and, and helpful to those of you who, who don't believe. Um, we're going to look at the most famous account of, the, of Christmas in Luke's gospel. Uh, it's Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 12 verses. Um, it's printed for you on the back of your, your bulletin there so you can follow along with us. If, if you're able, could I ask you to stand one more time um, for the reading uh, of God's Word? In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn." And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear, filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you. Before we get started, let's let's pray. God, enable us to see this account with fresh eyes and to hear it with new ears. Uh, drive home to us the truth and the grace uh, of this amazing event in history. Uh, And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Undercover Boss. Are you familiar with the show? um, it's, It's a reality series. What series aren't reality series? And are the reality series really reality? Uh, I don't know. 
But Undercover Boss is, is the reality series that follows high-level executives as they leave the comfort of their corner offices and uh, slip anonymously into the rank and file of their own organizations. Uh, at one level, of course, this is just one more goofy reality show. But at another level, this, this show taps into something that is deep within us. Uh, even harsh critics of the show, I, w- I did a little research, uh, New York Times, Washington Post, so they, they've panned the show pretty hard. But even those critics admit that it is irresistible, uh, emotionally compelling, and undeniably touching. You know, there is something magnetic, attractive, uh, powerful about a CEO who willingly surrenders power, at least for a time, and becomes weak, right, uh, in order to identify with and sympathize with and make friends with low-rung employees, uh, the kind of people he probably wouldn't otherwise uh, associate with because of his position and his power. Um, and he is able, that CEO or she, is able to experience um, uh, the employee's problems firsthand, right, experientially, and then do something about them at the end of the show. That may be the best part of the show when, when this uh, new employee, uh, you know, takes off his Clark Kent glasses and reveals himself as the, as the CEO, uh, who is... In fact, who in fact has the power and the position to fix the problems that, uh, that his employees are living with and make their lives better. The show is succeeding. It's won some Emmys and it's still on. It just was renewed for its 11th season. And I think that's because it taps, probably unknowingly, almost certainly unknowingly, it, it taps into the true reality story. Right, the reality story underneath all the reality stories. And that, of course, uh, I would argue, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the undercover king. The God who created the heavens and the earth slipped into his own creation and came to earth. But he didn't do it for show. Uh, he didn't do it for publicity. He didn't do it for ratings. He didn't do it to sell products. Uh, he did it for real. Uh, wasn't dress up for him. It wasn't makeup. Uh, he literally, actually became one of us. God becomes human, and he became human in a normal way, in the normal way. Right? Verse 7, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, over the centuries, we have sentimentalized that line, that event, uh, completely out of reality, right? I mean, you look at your Christmas cards, you watch the TV shows, and, and it looks like something out of, um, I don't know, the Hallmark Channel, right? It's, it's cozy and homey, and sweet. Uh, but what I just read there, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. 
was nothing of the sort. It wasn't cozy, homey, and sweet. Uh, Andrew Peterson is a Christian uh, recording artist. He has a song about Mary titled Labor of Love, and he sings it well, and I'm not going to sing it, but I will read it. Uh, It was not a silent night. We're going to sing silent night later, sorry. Uh, It was not a silent night. There was blood on the ground. You could hear a woman cry in the alleyways that night on the streets of David's town. And the stable was not clean, and the cobblestones were cold, and little Mary, full of grace, with the tears upon her face, had no mother's hand to hold. That's how God came into the world. Um, It was ugly, it was brutal, it was in many ways humane, certainly impoverished and dirty. Uh, And yet men and women have for centuries found this event compelling, uh, irresistible, undeniably moving. Luke tells us that the Christmas that the, that first Christmas is, is really a reality tale involving two kings. Jesus is one of the kings, and the other is identified in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus uh, that all the world should be registered. Caesar Augustus, let's call him the unconcealed king. Uh, Jesus is the undercover king. Caesar Augustus was uh, truly the unconcealed king. The world knew him. Uh, He was uh, as as close as anybody could get to being uh, the king of the entire known world. He came to power, uh, it depends on how you date it, about 31 B.C., 27 B.C., you know, very close to the... before Jesus' birth, uh, and he came to power by winning uh, a brutal civil war. Uh, he seized his power by force. Uh, he was the first emperor uh, in the empire to take the title of Augustus, uh, which is really a divine title. That was used to refer to the gods. It means exalted one. Uh, he would later, by the Roman Senate, be declared to be a god. Uh, He was celebrated as the author of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. Uh, But it was was a strange kind of peace. Um, A peace enforced by an iron hand. You know, Augustus had Roman legions garrisoned all over his empire. uh, And they would act quickly and decisively to put down any disturbance uh, of the peace. Uh, with force. Uh, Augustus also had a network of spies uh, all around his, uh, his empire, everywhere, uh, always reporting to him anything suspicious or uh, that smacked of civil disobedience. The, the thing that made him so effective, and he, he, was, he was brilliant, he was a brilliant politician and a brilliant administrator, and what he did more successfully than anybody Uh, before him was consolidate power. He wanted power, and he was good at consolidating power. Uh, And he consolidated it, of course, in himself. Uh, And and he used things like 
censuses or registrations and heavy taxation uh, on his people uh, to consolidate his power. And that's what, had brought, that's what brought Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem, uh, a registration uh, ordered by Caesar Augustus that required them to uh, move, I mean, to make that journey uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Um, that registration was almost certainly for the purpose of taxation uh, and maybe for, for, for the purposes of forced military service. You, you might have been signing up for the draft, you just didn't know it. Um, and it was during the reign of, a, of this, uh, the unconcealed king, Augustus, that the undercover king Jesus was born in this dusty, remote corner of the empire. And the contrast, right, couldn't be greater between Jesus and Augustus. Uh, Jesus, of course, didn't forcibly seize power. That's not the story, right? Uh, he, Jesus was not a consolidator of power. Uh, he came as a baby. Right? Um, and, and not just, you know, a baby, but a poor baby. Uh, a, a poor baby that the world had no room for, so he had to be born in a stable. That, that whole account is a graphic testimony that Jesus was all about giving up power as he came uh, to earth as the undercover king. The angel announced to the shepherds, though, verse 11, that this baby, Jesus, was... Christ the Lord. See that? Now Christ is just the the Greek uh, word uh, for uh, the Hebrew word meaning Messiah. So he's the Messiah, uh, but Lord is a divine title. So this baby right at the outset was announced clearly to be what the prophets of the Old Testament had been saying for centuries. That when this Messiah comes, mysteriously, He's going to be human, but he's also going to be divine. Only baby in history older than his mother. (laughs) Jesus pre-existed his birth uh, with infinitely more power and glory and strength and, and wealth than Augustus could even imagine. And yet here in the stable... Uh, is the is the mute testimony that Jesus is giving it all up, all of it up. He, unlike Augustus, Jesus is a giver, not a taker. Unlike Augustus, uh, Jesus came to serve, not to be served. You always served Augustus; he didn't serve you. Jesus took a human mother, so you could have a heavenly father. There was no room for Jesus on earth so that there would be room for you in heaven someday. Jesus gave up his glory so that you would become glorious. Jesus was celebrated by shepherds so you could be celebrated by angels. Jesus became vulnerable so you would one day be invincible. Jesus became humanly poor so you would become spiritually rich. Jesus was executed so you could be pardoned. Jesus died 
so you could live. And some of you, perhaps some of you who are not believers, are asking, why? Why did Jesus go through all this? Why Christmas, really? Right? And that is an honest question. It's a good question. It's an important question. And I'm guessing that some of you would probably answer that question, why Christmas, uh, that you would probably answer that Jesus did it, right? The Son of God becomes a human being. He did that to show us his love. But that can't be right. You love your dog, you're going to die for your dog to show how much you love your dog? Love your kids. Are you, are you going to bring about your own death to show them uh, how much you love them? Of course not. Jesus didn't do this to show his love. He did it to save the lost. Look again at what the angel said to the shepherds there at verses 10 and 11. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A Savior. See, there it is. I mean, that's, that puts the purpose of Christmas, the reason for Christmas, in a nutshell. Christmas is God's search and rescue mission. It was motivated by love for sure, but its purpose was rescue. And whether you receive that truth, how you hear that truth right now, how you're receiving it, how you're processing what I just said, uh, whether you receive that as good news of great joy or as a very offensive attack on your good character... really turns on whether you recognize whether you need a savior or whether you think you're good enough on your own before God. Assuming God exists, you'll say, I'm good enough. Now, according to Jesus, and probably according to the deep awareness in your own heart, if you're honest enough to admit it, and you wouldn't talk about, most of us don't talk about these things to anybody, you and I have two big deficiencies. Uh, First, we're not as good as we should be. And really most of us know that. We're not as good as we could be, and we're not as good as we should be. I don't even live up to my own standards. Right? I hold people to my standards. I hold everybody else to my standards except me. Um, We're not as good as we should be. And two, because of that, um, we will not survive God's ultimate judgment on our lives unless something happens. The shepherds knew that. Somehow they knew that. And, and I think a, an appropriate question to ask yourself is, do you? Um, it's, it really is going to... It's really going to... Um, 
adjust how you think about Christmas. Um, frankly, it's hard for prosperous, good, moral, hardworking people like you uh, to, see that, to see that they need saving. It's really hard. Um, and that's why Christianity has always drawn first from the margins of society. You know, they know they're not good enough. But good people just don't know or are unwilling to admit that they're not good enough. Uh, and if you really want to test, if you, if, if you really want to take this seriously, and you, you know, I challenge you to read the Sermon on the Mount. You know, a lot of people who, you know, will spout that, oh, you know, Jesus was a great teacher. Exhibit A, the Sermon on the Mount, what a great piece of teaching. You know, when, they, when people say that, I know almost certainly that they haven't read the Sermon on the Mount. It is, it's great teaching, but that, man, it is not a feel-good sermon. That's a terrifying sermon. Because in that sermon, what Jesus does is lay down, in, in words that we understand, what God's law means. What God's law means. What, what God's character is like. What God requires of us. And no religious leader before or since has, has ever said anything like Jesus did, does. I mean, his, the ethical demands he spells out in the Sermon on the Mount are so breathtaking, so rigorous. They're soul-crushing. I mean, I read that and I go, yes, that's a, that would be an unbelievable person. And if we were all like that, we wouldn't have problems. Uh, but boy, um, we're not. I, we, we don't measure up to the Sermon on the Mount. Speaking for myself, I don't. Um, you know, and if you want to just, if, if, if the Cliff's Notes version... Jesus boiled it down to two things, right? Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, just just skip over the God thing for a second. Just loving your neighbor as yourself. You know, that's not being nice to your neighbor. Being nice to your neighbor is great. And it's not just not hating your neighbor. And it's not ignoring your neighbor or, or you know, just swallowing uh, you know, the, the wisecrack that you could have given your neighbor. To love your neighbor as yourself is to work for, to promote your neighbor's positive good 24-7. That's how Jesus lived. It's, again, I said the, the, these, these ethical requirements take your breath away. Um, that is why we have Christmas. I said two things, right? That, that uh, we, we we're aware that we're not as good as we should be and we'll, we won't survive God's ultimate judgment unless something happens. Well, something happened. God sent a rescuer. God, in recognition of our weakness and, and our inability, sent a rescuer. 
And his name was Jesus. And Jesus did two things to rescue us. First, he lived the Sermon on the Mount. He lived it. He lived the law. He satisfied all of God's breathtaking ethical requirements for your account. And and then second, he obeyed, even obeyed the penalty provisions uh, of, of God's law. Even though he hadn't earned a penalty, he obeyed the penalty provisions of the law, the the death penalty provisions of the law, to pay for your failure and my failure to live up to God and to live up to God's character, to live up to God's law. You know, the bosses on Undercover Boss, they they have a lot of power to do things to make their employees' lives better, right? And, And and at the end of the show, they're doing those things, right? They're, they can revise work schedules to make, make them more humane. They can increase salaries and hand out promotions. They can set up scholarship funds for the employees or their families. That's all great. But what Jesus had to do to fix things as the undercover king was to get into your skin to get into your skin, to walk in your shoes, to really become one of us and do for us as a human being what we can't do ourselves. And it all started at Christmas. Poet uh, Lucy Shaw, wonderful poet, American poet Lucy Shaw, um, gets at the necessity of this saving operation of Jesus, this search and rescue mission of Jesus. She, she wrote a poem called Mary's Song, and, it, and it's, she's imagining Mary uh, uh, sitting there with the baby Jesus, looking at the baby, and, and these are her, her thoughts. Quiet he lies, whose vigor hurled a universe... He sleeps whose eyelids have never closed before. His breath, so slight it seems no breath at all, once ruffled the dark deeps to sprout a world. Charmed now by doves' voices, the whisper of straw, he dreams. Hearing no music from his other spheres, breath, Mouth, ears, eyes. He is curtailed who overflowed all skies, all years. Older than eternity. Now he's new. Now native to earth as I am, nailed to my poor planet. Caught that I might be free. Blind in my womb to know my darkness ended. Brought to this birth for me to be newborn and for him to see me mended, I must see him torn. And for him to see me mended, I must see him torn. That's a pretty good statement of the gospel. And the first step of that tearing of Jesus, and he literally was torn in torture uh, before the cross and on the cross uh, for you and for me.
Just one last thing I want to point out here um, in this account. I, I want you to hear what I'm saying about Christmas. And I want you to hear that it isn't general or impersonal. Right? I'm not giving a lecture about Christmas. Right? This isn't the general impersonal thing. It is specific and personal. We don't do them much anymore, but um, have you ever received a formal birth announcement from someone? Um, they, they, they tend to be uh, worded, the formal ones tend to be worded kind of like wedding invitations, right? Born to Joe and Jane Smith on September 15th, a beautiful baby girl named Abigail Marie, right? Um, there's a birth announcement here. Did you notice it? And that's really what the angel is doing. He's, he's making a birth announcement to the shepherds. And notice that he does not say, born to Joseph and Mary, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now what does he say? For unto you. This is an angel. It's one angel. Talking to a group of shepherds. And he's looking at them. And he says, unto you, shepherds, is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Friends, I want you to hear that announcement tonight as spoken not just to the shepherds, but to you. Because it is. I mean, that invitation still goes out every day. It goes out. And the announcement is, Unto you is born this day in the city of David, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Make it personal. If you've received God's gift of Jesus, then thank God tonight. Thank God tonight for His self-giving love, the love that, uh, by which he's, He loved, so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. Thank him for that, for your life, now free from condemnation. And if you're here tonight and you're not a believer in Jesus, you haven't received God's greatest Christmas gift, uh, you know, Christmas is a great time to do that. Um, and you, sim- you receive Jesus simply by believing in his name. Believing in who he is, believing in who you are as a as a as a man or a woman who needs a Savior and believing in what Jesus did for you to free you from God's judgment against your sin and to open, your, and to open you up to uh, life, eternal and abundant life with Him. It really is, it really is good news of great joy. And I, I pray uh, that that joy may be yours this Christmas. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, Dr. Luke and his careful research that produced this volume and tells us um, in, in poignant detail how you uh, came to earth 
um, and you took on flesh for us. Lord, I am acutely aware as I speak to an audience of, you know, a mixed audience where I know there are your, you know, believers in you and I know there are people who don't believe in you. I know, Lord, that in our day and age, this is um, hard to believe. But quite frankly, you know, it was hard to believe in Jesus' day too. Um. You did the unexpected, surprising thing. And I thank you for the, for the testimony of witnesses that we have um, that tell this story. And um, I pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you would, for those of us who believe, that you would uh, strengthen our faith. You would help our unbelief. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would create belief where it doesn't exist. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido, reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.